0: So this time we're going to be reading our scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. All right. Good morning. Good morning, you guys. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Those of you who are in the room, those of you that are outside, it's a beautiful morning. And uh, those of you that are online, thanks for, for joining us this morning. Uh, Friday, as many of you guys heard, uh, our region moved back to phase four, yeah, after, uh, I don't know, three days of consecutive tests that were under some some number. Um, so what that means for us is uh, obviously that allows us to make some changes, and so we're going to be able to move back to having feet uh, back to, we never actually started, we tried and it got bumped, but having 50 people in the room on Sunday morning right here present. Um, And so uh, we're going to be able to do that, um, Lord willing, as soon as next week. We'll put out official word this week through the newsletter, through uh, our our normal means of communication. Um, But what we need you to do is is sign up, right? We need you to sign up. Um, As we're moving back to being able to have 50 people in the room... um, and we're talking about the potential of going back to multiple services uh, to equip all who want to be part of the gathering to be here with us. We need to know if you want to be here with us, right? That's that's the challenge. We want you here. Uh, we want you to join us. Um, but we need to know if uh, if that is something that you want to do. And the way you're going to let us know is actually by, by signing up. Um, and that tells us... Uh, how many services we need to offer. We want to make room for as many people as want to join us um, for a live worship gathering. Um, One other piece of news I want to inform you of tonight, Trailhead elders are going to be meeting with uh, members and regular attenders uh, on a town hall Zoom call tonight at eight o'clock. We're going to be doing some updates on ministry. This is something that we're going to begin doing on a little bit more regular basis. That's after some feedback and. And uh, people want to be connected. We're also going to be doing some Q&A and interacting with those that are on the call. And so you are invited to join us for that. Um, If you would like, you're like, well, Steve, I want to sign up to attend, but I'm not sure how. Or you're like, hey, I'd I'd love to join the Zoom call, but I don't have a link. Um, You know what? This is a great opportunity for me to remind you that you need to be connected to us, right? You, You need to make sure that you are plugging into the ways that we are encouraging you to connect with us, right? So let me remind you. If you haven't yet, please download the Church Center app. Uh, you can access that on um, the uh, the App Store uh, or or wherever you download your apps. Um, and if you haven't downloaded it yet, please do so we push out information it's a way for you to stay connected to us you can sign up for attending um, Sunday services right there through the app you also get our daily reading plan Um, it's all right there Uh, secondly I would encourage you to go ahead and text yeah buddy uh, to 618-266 Three, two, one, zero. If you have not done that yet, I would encourage you to do so now. We'll be pushing out information about the Zoom call link and and other important information as it comes available. It is the fastest and right. We just everything's clouded and everything's more difficult. And so anything we can do to make communication easier, uh, we're going to lean into. All right, we are continuing our sermon series where we are looking at the early church, right? We're talking about um, uh, their experience and how their experience can inform our experience, right? The early church existed in a time of stress, conflict, loss, and suffering. It was a time of tremendous upheaval in the, uh, the early disciples' lives. Um, but what's amazing is when we read the account of the early church, they didn't just survive. They thrived, right? In their time of suffering, uh, they actually grew, right? They they grew in joy and freedom, in boldness and rich community. They grow, they grew in in numbers as as people were simply attracted, even though it came at great cost. Uh, what they were getting in this community, what they were experiencing in this faith, what the news they were hearing about the risen Savior was so much greater that they were attracted to it, right? Not because it was. Um, uh, easy, not because it promised your best life now, not because it 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 uh, added value to your already valuable life no it, it, it completely promised to replace your life with something better um, it, it It was uh, a community rich in grace, right having received grace from God, extending grace to one another, and moving out in grace to love their neighbors, and their surrounding community, right? They were driven by their purpose. We talked about this, right? The purpose not only of the early church, but the purpose of all humanity, right? Jesus said, Love Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. This is the purpose of your existence. It's why you were created. Everything in your life should be uh, in pursuit of that purpose. If it's not you're chasing some shadow mission for your life, right? The primary purpose and mission of your life is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? And out of that comes the, uh, the great commission uh, to be disciples who make disciples, to be those who drink deeply at the Fountain of Grace, inviting others to come to the Fountain of Grace with you, right? It was their purpose. It was their commission. Um, and, uh, and it was joy. It was grace. It was gratitude. It was generosity um and so that freed them right we've talked about this freed them from the black hole of greed it freed them from their worldliness their need to keep what they had and get more their need to compete to to climb the wrong hill to fight the wrong battles to defeat the wrong enemies right it freed them and and they experienced all of this in this thing that we call being a community on mission right a community on mission that was the dynamic experience of the early church of being a community on mission, which we've talked about over the last two weeks. Now, at the heart of this community on mission are three core practices, three three liturgies, three holy habits that, that they were devoted to together, right? Uh, these things drew them together, uh, both in practice but also in experience, right? So it was an expression of their love for God, but it helped them grow in their love for God. It was an expression of their love for one another, but it helped them to grow in their love for one another as they as they shared in these rich experiences. Right? They were devoted to the Word, and to worship, and to prayer. Right? Now, now we get this from Acts two forty two, um, and uh, we've been mixing up the order a little bit, but in Acts two forty two it says they were they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now we've spent the last two weeks looking at the fellowship right the fellowship is that greek word koinonia from which we get we we translate it community right but at the heart of it is sharing that's the generosity that that's what it means to be to be generous with with who you are to be to be vulnerable to invite people into your life and 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 uh to love and be loved to know and be known to forgive and be forgiven to to grow with others, right? Not alongside others, not in the same general vicinity of others, not simply in the same room with others, but actually doing life with others, right? And that generosity of life leads to a richness of shared grace, but also a profound experience of the mission of love, to love one another and to love those that are not yet part of our community, right? That's that word. We're using this concept, community on mission, uh, but it translates this single word, koinonia. All right, That was the second in the list, right? They are devoted to the fellowship. Today we're going to be jumping to the last one on the list. We're going to be looking at the prayers, okay? Because it says they were devoted to the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Of the three holy habits at the center of that diagram, uh, I, I think this one is, is the one that is most likely to stir up feelings of inadequacy. And maybe even guilt, honestly. Um, every Christian knows they're supposed to pray. And almost every Christian I know um, feels guilty for not praying enough. Right? I, almost every Christian I know is like, ah, oh, yeah, I definitely could, could, should pray more. Right? It, it, is, it is one of those things that um, uh, we all wrestle with, right? Uh, and yet we're continually reminded how important it is, it's hard to open your Bible without being reminded how ridiculously important prayer is, right? There, prayer is, is both mentioned and commanded hundreds of times in the New Testament and, and, and in the Old Testament, right? So when you're reading through the scripture, you're continually reminded uh, that you're to pray, Right? Jesus, um, in, in, in correcting some of the false ways people were praying during his time, emphasized the importance of, of this individual prayer, right? And, and I'm going to show you some verses here just to kind of remind you of, of some of the things the New Testament tells us about prayer, right? In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Right? What he was saying was, you need to have a rich and vibrant individual experience of prayer, right? That, that it can't just be something that, that um, you're around. It can't just be something that you other people lead you to do. You need to do it, right? Now, he was emphasizing this because uh, the Pharisees um, loved to go stand on the street corners, which sounds really, really weird to us. Uh, But back then, in in that culture, people who were highly religious were highly esteemed, right? And so they would go stand on the street corners and they would do their daily prayers very loudly and and very ostentatiously so that people could see them. And and Jesus was like, look, man, if you're going to have a rich and vibrant individual experience of prayer, it can't be for some secondary motive, like being seen or or getting noticed or or feeling important, right? Now, you, you you need to, like, go into the closet, man. Where nobody sees you except your Father. And you need to have a rich and vibrant experience of prayer with your Father. right? So individual prayer, as I'm emphasizing, is, is, is kind of the heart of it. This intimacy that develops from, from just meeting face to face with our Father. right? Every New Testament leader did it. Jesus himself did. Did it, right? We read in the Gospels about him getting up early in the morning before any of the disciples and going off to a lonely place to pray in isolation. It was his way of, of, of refreshing himself, of spending time with his father, of renewing his experience of, of the love of his father and, and renewing his energy to love others, right? Who weren't like his father, right? So, so prayer, right? Jesus himself telling us, man, go into your room and shut the door. Now, what are we supposed to pray about? All kinds of stuff, right? When you're anxious, pray, right? This is Philippians four six. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to, known to God, right? Are you anxious? Pray. Right? Don't don't look to to get distracted. Don't don't run to something that that um, is you know like like grab netflix and space out for a while if you're feeling anxious pray give thanks right the antidote to to the fear often rooted in losing something right that that keep what we have get more tension that's in our hearts a lot of times our anxiety starts coming up when we feel like we're gonna have to give up something we don't want to have to give up right the antidote to that isn't to distract yourself or to double down or work harder he's like no pray man pray right? Pray, give thanks, and uh, make your requests known to God. And, and, and it goes on to tell us that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? When you're feeling overwhelmed with sorrow, pray, right? Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't even know it to pray as we ought. But the Spirit, Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, right? Are you feeling sorrowful? depressed do you find yourself in in that dark hole you're not alone in it right um you're not sometimes god feels a million miles away but he's never left so what do we do when we're in that place of darkness we pray sometimes our prayers are just groanings honestly they're just pain. And what's so cool about this is is, is, it's not like the Lord's like, oh, you're so weak, or okay, I I will deign to come down to you. He's with us. Like when we don't know what to pray, He's praying with us. The Holy Spirit is praying with groanings that are too deep for words. Right? He meets us in those prayers. It's not just us praying to God. It's God praying with us to God. Right? He actually engages our hearts in that dynamic place, right? When you're in trouble, when you're suffering, when you're in anxiety, pray, right? And when you see your brothers and sisters in Christ in that same dark place, pray for them, right? First John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Right? When you see your brother or your sister in Christ um, making self-destructive life choices in sin or, or, or in, in pain or, or just doing things that they're not supposed to be doing and you know at the end of the day they're chasing something they're not going to get at the end of that path. What are you supposed to do? Confront them? Yell at them? First and most important thing you need to do for them is pray for them. You need to come to the God who, who is sovereign over all these things and pray for them. Right? And, and, and you're like, well, when should I stop? Well, if they're still alive, John tells us, keep praying. Right? <laughs> as long as the sin doesn't lead to death. As long as they're not dead, you just need to keep right on praying for them. Right? You don't give up. You don't stop. Right? Just, just because it doesn't seem to be working out the way you wanted. You know, your, your, your commitment to pray for others has no expiration date. You need to keep right on praying for them. So here's kind of the summary of this, y'all. And, and I could keep going, right? Paul, Paul told the church, pray for us, that, that effective doors for evangelism open for us. That he prayed, like, like, pray for the mission of the church. Pray for the leaders of the church. Pray for the people of the church. Pray for, like like, it's a never-ending list of things that we are to pray for. When things are going great, when things are going bad, however things are going, whoever is in need of prayer pray. In fact, kind of the summary statement of it is at the end of the day, the safest thing to do is just pray without ceasing, okay? First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> pray without ceasing, right? So how do you pray without ceasing? Like, is that even possible? It's only possible if you develop such an intimacy with God, such an intimacy with your Father, that every thought becomes a prayer. That, that it, there's no formal times of prayer and not prayer. Like, you're just constantly developing this internal conversation with your Father. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of trust. It's a place of, of, of submission to his will, right? That, that you're seeking to live out the embodiment of the Lord's prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. So we're commanded, y'all, we're commanded to pray individually. No doubt about it. We should have individual, rich lives a prayer and we should be pursuing it not just day by day right obviously not week by week not just day by day but moment by moment right we should be continually entering in to a mindset of prayer in which we are entering the closet of our minds if you want to go there right you don't have to physically enter a closet all right you can do it anywhere at any time right you enter that place in your mind that sacred space where you come into the presence of your heavenly father and you simply talk to him about the things that are going on in your life. You talk to him about the things that you're struggling with, that you're happy about, that you're thankful for, that you long for. That 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 you just you just develop this conversational um, dialogue with with your heavenly Father, right? Pray individually, but the Scripture doesn't just call us to pray individually. It also calls us to pray with other people. Right? We're to pray individually, and we're to pray corporately. Now I want to make a, a big distinction here, and this is going to come up with the next two holy habits as well. I'm being very careful with my language. We are called to pray individually, and we are called to pray corporately. Notice that I don't say personally. And that's because as Westerners, as Americans, we've been trained to think of personal things as individual things. Like personal prayer is individual prayer. Personal Bible study is studying my Bible on my own, right? Personal worship is when I, in, in the quietness of my own company, enter into the worship of God as if somehow it were not personal for me to do it with others, right? We emphasize the individual because we have such an individualistic culture. I would say we actually have an idolatrous obsession with the individual in Western culture. We put a huge emphasis on me, my decisions, my responsibilities, my hopes, my initiative, my as opposed to a corporate identity, right? That that there's a we, right? That we're mutually dependent and 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 mutually obliged in love to one another. Here's what I'm pressing on with this: is that it is just as personal for it to be done individually as it is corporately. Now, is it a different experience? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's a different experience. It may feel different to you. That doesn't make it less personal or less powerful. You following me? Tracking with me? Right? That that, that God commands both, right? I'm going to put it out there. Some of you, in fact, might find it easier to have... An experience of personal prayer with others with other people who are up and create a space for you to pray if you're unfamiliar with prayer if 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 um, if you're a raging extrovert and uh, and being trapped alone in your own mind just feels in like insanity uh, for some people um, praying with others is actually deeply enriching right because it's more of a, a shared experience our, our community groups did prayer walking two weeks ago um, And they met throughout the city or in the areas of their community groups and and they went out in small groups and they simply walked and prayed. And and I know for some people it was a little intimidating, this idea that, well, we're going to pray in public? You mean like? like outside right you're going to be walking down the street and praying aren't people going to think you're a lunatic no i like we did groups of two or three and 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 it's you just walk and you have a conversation but as you're walking and having this conversation you're praying for what you pass right you pray for the school you 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 pray for the first responders you pray for the neighborhood you pray for the businesses uh you, you you pray for god's will to be done right and and anything the spirit prompts you along the way right individuals that the spirit brings to mind these, these are what I like to call popcorn prayers, right? These aren't these highly formalized, highly um, uh, liturgical, we'll call, call it that, prayers. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? It can be that. But the popcorn prayers more, are more like sentences, two sentences, short paragraphs, right? You're just walking along and, and, and something prompts you. And so you offer up a really short prayer for the schools of the students of the teachers or, or those that are working in the hospital or, or the, the small businesses of our community that are that are struggling to thrive in this season, right? You just you just offer up these these prayers, but what's so cool about it is like popcorn, it bounces off each other, right? When you're with somebody else and doing this, it actually like like enlivens it right because you're responding to them and they're responding to you and you're both responding to the Holy Spirit as you're walking and praying what was awesome is after this happened I I asked for some feedback from our from our community groups I'm like so tell me how it went and I think um, the great majority of our community groups when they responded said it was incredible um, and I said a thing, there were a few that said, okay, it was awkward, we had a little bit of a hard time, but we got through it, and we're looking forward to next time, because we think it'll be better. Okay, great, right? The great majority of people, like, like I got stories of people who prayed out loud for the very first time, and and their comment was, it just felt more natural than sitting in a circle with your heads bowed and eyes closed, <laughs> right? That that awkward Christian thing that we do, you know, that, that huddle thing where it's like, okay, everybody, now we're in this holy space, let's pray, right? No, it's actually like life, like just walking and engaging and talking, right? People prayed for the very first time out loud in front of others because they felt uh, empowered to do so and engaged with others, right? There were There were People that, that um, talked about how they had never imagined they could pray for a half hour. Like for them, that was one of the, like this huge, like, like okay, yeah, I could pray for like a minute or two, but I don't know how those people get together. And they just all pray for like a half hour or 45 minutes. I mean, they're super spiritual. I could never do that. And yet they're finding as they're walking around, they're losing track of time as they're praying for the different things in their community and the different people and the different events. And it's like, holy cow, we were out there for like 40 minutes. Didn't even dawn on me, Right? We had people talking about um, how much they loved praying with other people for their community. Um, Neighbors coming up, right? And and, and like one person told me, a neighbor came up and they're like, Hey, y'all, how's it going? And they had a brief conversation. What are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're prayer walking. We're actually just walking around our community and praying for our community. Like, oh, that's cool. And they're like, well, how can we pray for you? And so they prayed for that person right there. It was like this super enriching, really, really cool way. To connect. Listen y'all, we are commanded to pray individually. But we are commanded to pray with others as well. In fact, when we read through the New Testament, most of the times that we're being commanded to pray, the command is in plural. Indicating that we as a church are meant to obey those commands. Not just us as individuals, but us with each other right we're praying with each other we're praying for each other we're praying for the shared mission that we have together to love each other and to love others in the love of god right let me just show you a few commands right this is uh first timothy 2 eight, right when you're in disagreement with your brother or sister in christ what are you supposed to do pray together Ends without anger or quarreling right especially in this season. When you find someone who disagrees with you, your first thought shouldn't be, how can I defeat your ideas? Your first thought should be, "Ooh, let's lift up holy hands and pray together. Right? Let's find our commonality. Let's find our shared joy. Let's find our shared purpose in life. And from there, without anger or quarreling, we can discover how to move in love toward one another. Right? I mean, how powerful is it to pray with someone before debating someone, right? How powerful is it to pray with someone before you go to war with the ideas of someone, right? When you're sick or struggling, you're not supposed to to go hide it and then tell us about it after you've won your victory, right? We love testimonies that are in the past tense, right? Oh man, I was really struggling back then, but God brought me through it. That's a testimony we like to share. You know the testimony that's really hard for us to share? Man, I'm really struggling right now. I'm really struggling right now. Physical sickness, spiritual ailment, uh, plaguing sin. Right? Um, James five fourteen says, "If anyone is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord." Now, this one's specific, right? If you have a physical illness. Um, You can call for the elders of the church, and the elders of the church will come and anoint you with oil, which is a physical symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they lay hands and they pray, right? The passage goes on and talks about uh, the confession of sin, right? So this passage isn't just about physical illness, it's also about spiritual ailments. We're supposed to be inviting each other into our pain. We're supposed to be vulnerable enough to actually ask people to pray for us, not when we've defeated our weakness, but in our weakness. Prayer is transformative, not simply as a way to, 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 like the Pharisees boast, like, hey, I did this great thing, give thanks for me. I have a, I have a message of praise, right? I'm just going to share praise. I was really struggling, but now I'm not. No, it's like, I'm really struggling right now, right? Listen, when there are times of shared trauma and stress, we are to pray together. It deepens the intimacy we have with one another. It deepens our ability to have shared empathy and and emotional connection and spiritual vitality. That individualism that we so want to protect, which keeps us closed up and and we want to project an image and push out a resume and have people think very carefully, you need to know that that that's actually a prison. Where, where you're going to shrivel up. And, and you're, going to, you're going to struggle in there. And you might even die in there. Spiritually, emotionally. Because it blocks you from genuine intimacy. From knowing and being known. Loving and being loved. Forgiving and being forgiven. Life on life stuff. That, that prayer is meant to be part of the vital experience that we share together. Right? And we don't always have to worry about getting it right. I love this. Because part of it, remember, the community that we're sharing it with is a broken community, isn't it? Right? The people in, in your community groups, the people in your church, the people in your spiritual community, your elders, <laughs> are broken people. Right? They are people that make mistakes. They are people who misspeak. They are people that sometimes hurt your feelings without attending to. Sometimes they are people who hurt your feelings intending to. <laughs> Because they're just selfish in the moment and they say rude things. It's really, really hard to push into prayer and vulnerability with with a, a complex situation. Because we're a mix of growing grace and, 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 and just rock hard. You're, you know, that, that pride that just is having a hard time melting away. And our, you know, that individualism and isolationism combined with a, a, a drive to be known and known. Right? We're a mess. We're a mess. What I love is that we see this play out in the early church. In Acts chapter 12... Um, there's a season of extreme suffering brought in the early church. Uh, James, the brother of John, the apostle James at the beginning of Acts 12 is martyred, right? He's put to death. So, so leaders of the church are now being, being publicly killed and the members of the church are being, being physically threatened, right? This is a, a season where, where it's extreme stress and Peter himself, right, one of the most well-known apostles in the early church has been imprisoned, and the, the church is expecting him to face the, the same fate that uh, James, the brother of John, the apostle James, uh, was, right? So the whole community is under siege with, with real persecution, right? Not the kind of persecution you get when, when you go to Starbucks and they say happy holidays. I'm talking about real persecution, the kind of persecution that, that, that comes when, when your life is endangered. Your economic well-being is endangered because of your identity with Christ, right? The the kind of persecution that people all around the world are still currently facing, right? So what does the early church do? They go pray, right? They gather in in a home, which is a compound, and, and, and they pray, right? They're praying for Peter. They're praying for themselves. They're praying for the Spirit of God to intervene. And God does this incredible thing. Right, God shows up and frees Peter in the middle of the night. So Peter walks out of jail, right? And he's like, I wonder where the disciples are. I bet you they're at that house. So he walks over to the house, and he knocks on the gate. And, and, and the girl who was assigned uh, the gate duty comes up to the gate. He's like, I'm here. I'm free. The answer to your prayers, God, is... And she is so overwhelmed, She leaves him outside and runs back in, right? He's still locked out, standing in the street. She runs into where the the disciples are gathered and praying. And she's like, Peter's at the gate. Peter's in the street. They're praying for Peter to be released. You know what their response is? Oh, you're crazy. You're out of your mind, right? Some of them are like, what, did you see his ghost? They're just convinced, right? They're praying for Peter to be released. But they're not even believing the efficacy of their own prayers. Well, you know what's so cool about that is that God still honored the prayers. They were showing up desperately in need of an infusion of faith, but they were still doing it. And God honored that and then infused their faith, right? He's like, all right, y'all don't even believe I'm going to answer this prayer you're asking for, so I'm going to answer it. And, and in answering it, I'm actually going to strengthen your faith to pray. Because right now you're praying without the faith to receive. Listen, God works through the prayers of His people, even when His, the prayers of His people are messed up, short sighted, offered without a whole lot of hope. Sometimes we pray and we're like, "Lord, I'm asking for this," and I honestly don't believe You're going to give it. I pray for this. I don't think I don't think You're even able to answer this prayer. But I'm going to ask it anyway, because You're God and I'm not. Listen, God's at work even in those kinds of prayers. Right? You don't need to show up and be the perfect prayer. You don't have to you don't have to find the perfect community to to pray with and find a vibrant experience of prayer with. You, you need to pray because God honors prayers even even when we don't fully believe He's going to. Right? So it is obviously important that we are developing an individual habit of prayer. That prayer is vital to us in the closet of our own mind, right? When we're, when we're in our, without ceasing, just for the joys, the sorrows, the, the, the struggles. The... But it's also ridiculously important that we are pushing into prayer with others. That we're not copping out because, well, I'm an introvert and I don't like people. Great. So are the majority of people in the world. You still need to pray with others. Okay, we're not copping out because, well, that church church is just full of hypocrites. Well, guess what? If if you find a church that isn't full of people in need of grace, you shouldn't go there because you'll ruin it. Okay, that's all there are, are churches growing in grace. Yes, there are hypocrites because we're all growing in grace and we all have to have our pride exposed and we all have to learn how to repent and we all have to learn how to stumble forward in grace, right? You, you, can't, you need to be pushing into prayer and stop giving yourself excuses for not, right? You need to be pushing in not just individually but corporately with others. So as we wrap up, what I want to do and so I want to highlight three things that actually drive us to prayer. How do we actually grow in, in our prayer lives? What are the things that actually propel us forward in our, our prayer lives, right? So I want to give you three D's of drive for prayer. I'm alliterating. Make it, make it more memorable for you, right? Here's what I want you to get. All three of them are vital, um, and all three of them are valid first two are going to seem more valid than the others first i want to talk about is delight delight will drive you to prayer delight will drive you to prayer now i'm not just talking about being happy right you can have a great meal and it won't drive you to prayer right you can see a great movie and it's not going to drive you to prayer you can you can win lotto right hey i got a hundred bucks and it won't drive you to prayer right not all happiness drives you to prayer. That's not what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? Because a lot of times, our happiness is driven by our self-serving pleasure. Self-serving pleasure is not going to drive you to prayer. Self-serving pleasure is going to drive you to, to um, self-congratulations or self-absorbed, further self-absorbed pleasures. What I'm talking about is the delight that grows from having experienced grace. That delight will drive you to prayer. The delight that grows from from an unexpected experience of love from God. Or from the people of God loving you in the name of God. Or the love of God being manifest to you through people who aren't the people of God, but it's surprising in its in its suddenness. Grace has a way of disorienting us. Grace has a way of awakening us. When grace breaks in, it's so unexpected, it's so beautiful that awakens within us a delight, and that delight will drive us to prayer, right? Because when grace comes in, it's a unique joy that both humbles our pride and awakens our gratitude, right? When you get unexpected, undeserved love, when you don't expect God, you know, when, when, when you're feeling self-condemned and you, get, you open up the word and, and it, the, the passage just jumps off the page at you, that your father, your father loves you and isn't waiting for you to prove yourself, right? That, that, that he's, he's like, I love you, right? Not if you perform, I'll love you. Not if you do better, I'll love you, right? That moment when that actually sinks in, right? That awakens, it, it humbles your pride, it awakens your gratitude, and that delight will push you in prayer. I would say my very first prayer as a believer was a prayer of delight. Um, I was 17. um, I've shared bits and pieces of this story, pretty much the whole story over the years. But I was 17. I was at Bible college, weird place to be as an unbeliever, but I was. And um, uh, two months into the school year, I decided that I was actually going to read my Bible because I had never read it. And uh, by God's grace, um, a very good friend of mine Pointed me to the book of Hebrews. I asked him, what's your favorite book? He said, the book of Hebrews. I said, all right, I'll, I'll start there. So I sat down that night and I read the book of Hebrews. And um, ridiculous place to start, by the way. Um, but by the time I got to the end of the book of Hebrews, it was clear to me that God was who he said he was, that he loved me, and that Jesus was the manifestation of God's love to me. Right. The, the phrase that just stuck with me is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I got to the end of the book of Hebrews and I was a believer, right? I didn't know what it meant to be a follower of Christ, but I was a follower of Christ. Like, that changed the trajectory of my life. That night, after I got done reading the book of Hebrews, I tried to pray. I had never prayed before. No one had taught me how to pray. I didn't have a language of prayer. I felt ridiculously self-conscious and, and, and completely uncomfortable, right? I'm in my dorm room by myself. I didn't even know how to start. It was so awkward. I remember it vividly, right? It's like walking into the presence of, of, of somebody you like and you're not sure they like you and, the, and, and you just stumble your way through this first conversation. It's so horrifying, right? Because you feel so exposed in it. I didn't even know how to start, so I started out, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. I mean, that literally is how I started my prayer, right? I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. And, and I was so overwhelmed with this message that God loved me. I said, Lord, I know that I am just, beep, okay? It was, it was inappropriate for this audience. It was not inappropriate for the presence of God. I said, but I know you love me. That was a prayer of delight. It was was just my soul flooding out in response to the love of God. I buried my head in my pillow and I had no pretensions before God that I was worthy. And I was amazed because even though I knew I wasn't worthy, I knew I was accepted. There's a quote in your bulletin from Paul Miller. Paul Miller wrote a great book, A Praying Life. and. He says this, Jesus' example teaches us that prayer is about relationship. When he prays, that is Jesus, he's not performing a duty, he's getting close to his father. The prayer of delight is just getting close to your father. The prayer of delight is just this internal need to be in the presence of the God who loves you because you're overwhelmed with his love and you want more of it, right? Follower of Christ, those are sacred moments. Right? When you feel that, you need to move um, in, in that intimacy towards your Father. Right? To, to delight in him, in him, in Him Himself and in His love toward you. And, and, and that's prayer, y'all. That's prayer. Prayers of delight. That's the first thing that will drive you to pray. Second thing, uh, in opposition to delight, is desperation. Desperation will drive you to pray. Right In the same way that, that delight will drive you to pray, desperation Uh, In fact, few things will give you a drive to pray, like desperation. Prayers of delight often happen, and you don't even know you're praying. (laughs) You're just overflowing with gratitude and joy in the presence of your Father. Prayers of of desperation, on the other hand, um, we know them, right? Because we can float across um, the surface of a thousand pleasures and never give thanks. Because we're we're just kind of self-content in our our, um, self-centeredness and our self-satisfaction, right? We are we supposed to give thanks, but we're definitely not feeling gratitude, right? But one plunge into crisis, where you're genuinely helpless, like you find yourself in a situation that exceeds your pay grade. You literally cannot solve it. You cannot, through the exertion of your will or, or the application of your intelligence or, or through the, the managing of your resources, you will fall short, You are inadequate for the task. In that moment, you will discover prayer. Desperate people pray. Because they can't solve their own problems. They find themselves suddenly reminded that they aren't God. And and that they can't do what needs to be done. And so desperation drives them to come to the one who can. Listen, nobody wants to be in that desperate place. That's a horrible feeling. To find yourself in that place where you are helpless to solve your own problem and desperate for someone else to rescue you. Um, we do everything we can to avoid going there, but, but I'm just going to throw that out there. It's kind of silly how much we hate our desperation. It's actually kind of silly how much we run from the feeling of, of being totally dependent and it in fact it, it is part of our sin right? it's part part of our our worldliness it's our worldliness that drives us to find the fullness of life apart from the God who gives that fullness to find the fullness of life um, uh, in independence from God and competition with God instead of humble dependence on God right we want a life of self-assurance self-independence and and, and autonomy right listen Jesus said I am the vine you are the branches How stupid for a branch to pretend that it is self-sufficient. I mean, how blind for a branch to continually try to forget that it is vitally connected to the vine. And it is that connection that gives them everything they need. Right? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing apart from me. We are created to be completely, utterly dependent on God. And yet when that is exposed, it's often a point of crisis for us because we've been pretending all along that we are sufficient on our own. That we can be like God, independent from God, securing the fullness of life apart from the God who is the fullness of life. Listen, if you're a branch, man, Take joy in the fact that you're connected to the vine. Don't run from that. Don't pretend it's not reality. Push into that, right? Listen, we need to learn desperation. Not just wait for it to be forced on us by the circumstances of life. We need to learn desperation. We need to learn to walk in humility, right? To be, as, as Jesus would, would put it, poor in spirit. That, that outside of our dependence on God... We're dead. Outside of the life flowing into us from the vine, we have no ability to find the fruit of life or to be fruitful ourselves. Another quote from Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. This one's not in your bulletin. He said this, Power in prayer comes from being in touch with your weakness. To teach us to pray, Jesus told stories of weak people who knew they couldn't do life on their own. The persistent widow in Luke 18. The friend at midnight in Luke 11. Those people get access, not because they're strong, but because they're desperate. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. We need to learn what should be intuitively true. We have so ingested the lie that that we can be independent, that we can be autonomous, that, that we can pick ourselves up and take care of ourselves, that we are adequate and good enough. We have so ingested that lie that we have to learn how to be dependent on God. We need to learn how to be desperate for the life of the vine. So the first thing that drives us to prayer is delight. Second thing that drives us to prayer is desperation. The third thing that drives us to prayer is duty. Now, delight and desperation, I think we get those in some sense or another, right? And we've, that, those are vital, like, like we get it, that those are completely legitimate. You start bringing up duty, though, and some people get a little bit hinky. Right, Duty? Duty, right? Um, I, I, think, I think duty gets a bad rap. I think that, that um, we, we tend to think that if something is done in duty, it can't be done in love. That somehow there's a conflict between duty and love. That if we do it out of duty, it's clearly not being done out of love. Now, I will say this. It is true that duty is no substitute for love. Duty itself can be no substitute for love, right? Uh, A man who commits to fidelity in his marriage, who has no affection for his bride. He has duty, but he doesn't have love. That's going to be a really tough marriage. It's going to be a really tough space to actually develop and foster intimacy, right? Because duty cannot substitute For love. But listen, you can't have love without duty. You can't. A man who delights in his wife, takes great joy in her presence, is is outpouring with his affection, but doesn't commit himself to dutifully working for her good, doesn't love his wife. If he's honest with himself, what he loves is the feeling he gets from being with his wife. If he's not dutifully devoted to her good, he's actually just dutifully devoted to his own pleasure. Duty is necessary for love. This is exactly how many of us treat prayer. If I don't feel like praying, I'm not going to pray it because it won't be authentic. If, if I don't feel like like coming into God's presence, I'll wait till I do because, you know, I, I'm not going to do it just out of duty. It needs to be an authentic uh, movement and I'm not going to be inauthentic. I'm not going to be a pretender. Um, listen, y'all. Duty is a horrible substitute for love. But is a necessary expression of love. It is often duty that keeps love alive in those seasons when affection has grown cold. You may not feel great affection. It is often in those seasons, whether it's in marriage or in a friendship or in your relationship with God, it is often in those seasons that it is the application of duty that actually keeps the love alive because we are acting in duty, in fidelity to our friendship, in fidelity to our marriage, in fidelity to our relationship with God. That actually renews our experience of affection when our affections have grown cold. We should be dutiful, y'all. We should be dutiful in prayer. Not simply as an expression of our affection. Right? If you're like, well, I'm not feeling delight and I'm not feeling dependency. Well, I'm just going to wait until I do to pray. Um, You're not honoring your love for God. We should be dutiful with prayer as an expression of our affections and also a commitment to our affections. Not simply to express our delight, but to keep fighting to experience delight. One thing I find that's interesting in our Acts chapter 2 passage is that Luke uses the definite article the in front of each of the things that the early church is devoted to. Right. So in Acts 2.42, they are devoted to the apostles' doctrine, which makes sense, because they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, not other people's teaching, right? Not the rabbis' teaching, the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the fellowship, which makes sense. They're devoted to the community, the sharing of life that flows from, from God's fellowship with us in Christ, right? The fellowship, not just any fellowship, not just any friendship, but but having experienced the grace of God, moving out in generosity of grace to others, right? They're devoted to uh, the breaking of bread, right? To worship, to communion, not just any family meal, but the family meal that actually remembers the body and the blood of Christ. And then he says they're devoted to the prayers. Now, why in the world does he use definite article in front of prayers? What specific prayers does he have in mind? Well, most commentators agree that what Luke is referencing here isn't just individual prayer, and it isn't just corporate prayer, it is specifically the hours of prayer that were observed in the early Jewish community. So in other words, the prayers would have been the corporate patterns of prayer observed in the broader Jewish community, because at this point the church is Jewish and proselyte, so they would have adopted these, these patterns into the early church. They prayed three times a day. That was part of the rhythms of their community. They prayed in the morning, they prayed in the afternoon, and they prayed in the evening. Right? They were hours of prayer, liturgies of prayer, holy habits of prayer. They were devoted to it. Sometimes they would do it together when they could be together. Sometimes they did it together apart (laughs) when they couldn't be together. They did it together at the same time, at the same point in the day, maybe not necessarily with each other in actual presence. I'm going to kind of throw this out there, y'all, that one of the ways that we can push into the duty of prayer, especially in this season, is to commit to the hours of prayer. Right? Morning, afternoon evening right and 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 it it doesn't have to be any specific kind of prayer any specific amount of time but just a commitment in the morning i'll pray i'll find a time to pray in the morning whether it's in the shower if you have little kids maybe it's at those few precious moments you're in the bathroom and can actually close the door right maybe maybe it's on your commute to work maybe it's but but you have a regular pattern i will pray in the morning i will find a way to pray in the afternoon and i will pray in the evening and knowing that even though we're not sharing the same space, we all have this shared experience. We're doing it together. Knowing that you're part of a community that is committing to these holy habits, these liturgies of prayer. One tool I'd like to introduce you to, um, I've been playing with it on, on uh, my technology on my smartphone, and I have found it to be um, really valuable. It's this thing called the Daily Prayer App. Um, and, and the Daily Prayer App is really, really well-structured Joe, You may not have time to do it all because it's, like a three- or four-piece prayer in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. But it comes from the Book of Common Prayer. um, And and yes, you can read words that were written for you and actually have them be genuine prayers of your heart, right? Not all prayer has to be so individualistic that it's you making up the words in the moment. That's important. But other times you're going to read words, whether it's the Psalms or Scriptures or or the Book of Common Prayer, um, and enter into prayer that way. But what I would encourage you to do is to think about how. How are you going to create a holy habit of prayer? Not just the good intention of prayer, but the holy habit of prayer. How do you push into the, to the duty of prayer and, and actually um, praying, right? Listen, if we want to pursue our purpose to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, and, and heart, mind, strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves, right? If we want to fulfill our commission to be disciples and make disciples, if we want to push into the generous flow of grace to reawaken our experience of grace and to push us out in generosity, we've got to devote ourselves to the holy habit of prayer. So let's do it, John. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and um, we're going to share communion, and, um, and we'll close with, with some songs together. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. That you want to meet with us. It's an amazing thing that the God of the universe isn't distracted, that the God of the universe isn't so busy that that you don't want to meet with us. You wait eagerly for communion with us. Even as we're distracted from you, even as we're uh, trying to be independent from you, even as we're stumbling in our sin, um, having a hard time growing in the grace that you've extended to us, it is an amazing gift that you love us and want to spend time with us. Will you awaken within us, Lord, a desire to spend time with you, that you will stir our affections in such a way that that our prayers flow from delight, that you will awaken within us this this growing place of humility that allows us to be comfortable with our desperation, that we desperately need you, that we're poor in spirit, that we are just branches connected to the vine. Help us, Lord, to, to push into that. To find our prayer life flowing from both our joy and our need. But also, Lord, will you awaken our will. The holy application of our will to create patterns and practices that ignite, not only express our affections, but ignite and renew our affections. Help us as a community, Lord, to do this. And help us as a community to help each other do it. That that we would encourage each other and strengthen each other in, in these Um, these sacred practices, these holy habits, specifically this week and and in coming weeks of, of coming to you in prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.